I think we need to start looking at more plant-based options across Canada, especially knowing what we know now about the sciences of, of emissions. Not even talking yet about the ethical parts and the health benefits, but it's a huge emission as, as well. And I think we're really downplaying what we're seeing in the statistics. Right now, I think we're only seeing about 15% of emissions from agriculture. I think we're underreporting. This is the Plant Fueled Podcast. My name is Cass Warbeck. I'm a medical student, plant-based athlete, and vegan lifestyle advocate. This podcast is all about bringing you conversations to optimize your health and elevate your performance. Okay, so who loves being outside? I know I do. There's nothing like a bit of sunshine and some mountain air to put everything in perspective. I'm so grateful that I have access to such incredible mountains and natural areas, and I cannot imagine life without these spaces. Sadly, though, it is reality that climate change threatens our natural world. Anyone who enjoys outdoor sports, from scrambling to snowboarding, shouldn't take this lightly. Humanity really needs to get things together here, or the future of our beautiful planet is in compromise. Okay, so sorry for the gloom, but these are all themes of my conversation this week, only a little more upbeat. <laughs> Joining me is Tana Boonler. Simply put, whether it's riding fresh powder in the wintertime or bagging peaks during the summer, Tana is no stranger to the outdoors. It is this fondness for nature and the countless days and nights spent outside that has motivated him to want to find ways to advocate for its protection. Tana has a background in environmental engineering and currently works as a greenhouse gas specialist, helping large industrial producers find ways to reduce their emissions. He's helped advocate for strong climate change policies, having been involved with several local environmental and social justice groups, and he has also run for federal and provincial office with the Green Party of Canada. He is also the leader of the Calgary chapter of Protect Our Winters Canada, or POW, an organization that aims to inspire outdoor enthusiasts to become advocates for protecting the outdoors. Tana's mission is to use his professional knowledge in greenhouse gas emissions and his outdoor adventure experiences as evidence that you can live a plant-based lifestyle to help protect the environment, your personal health, and the animals. I was super excited to talk with him for many reasons, one of them being our local connection to Calgary, Alberta. For all my fellow Canadians listening, this one will be especially relevant to you. It is my pleasure to bring you this conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you for being here. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Cass. I'm super stoked to be here and very honored that you asked me. Yeah, it's it's my honor. Um, so we'll dive right into it. Um, maybe we can start a little bit that my first impression of you and like looking at your Instagram and kind of your background here is that you love everything mountain related. And I'm curious, when did your passion for the outdoors actually begin? Can you remember? Yeah, totally. I mean, you kind of nailed it on the head, but Instagram is kind of funny, right? You're posting your highlight <laughs> reels and whatever else. So, you know, I'll be honest about that too. But uh, we, we love the outdoors. Uh, my partner and I are there at least every weekend. So yeah, we are weekend warriors in that sense, but <clears throat> fell in love with the, the mounds when I was actually researching where to go after university, went to university of Guelph and, uh, kind of found the spot in Calgary, Alberta. I'm like, wow, it's close enough to the mounds. It's still a city. And I, I never really climbed up a mountain before, but as soon as I got out here and, and discovered it and my partner and I did one hike, we're like, wow, we're in love. So we got to do this more. Yeah, it's addicting once you get into it. And there's there's nothing like fresh mountain air to just put things in perspective, I think. Totally. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you obviously do a little bit of um, scrambling, hiking, mountain climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, what like What's your range of outdoor sports that you engage in? Yeah. So yeah, summertime, the hiking, scrambling, backcountry, camping, even front country. It's nice to do that too. Uh, in the wintertime, we love snowboarding, uh, and my partner skis, and then we just picked up some backcountry gear to do some touring. So to, to open us a little bit more access to the outdoors there in that sense. But, uh, 
you know, anything that's outdoors, we're, we're willing to try it out. Um, I know we want to even try some canoeing and whatever else, do some trips that way, but anything outdoor related, like we're, we're stoked about it. So, um, it, you know, if I could work full time, just living outdoors, I would do it, but you know, it's kind of tough. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That really would be the life. Um, I'm more, I love the outdoors myself. I do a lot of, uh, scrambling, hiking, that sort of thing. I'm getting into oh, nice. the mountain biking, snowboard a little bit, but I have a, I'm more of a fan of the summer outdoors. <laughs> yeah, kids. fair enough. The winters here get a little long for me, but um, I'm yeah. curious. Um, can you describe maybe for someone that it's a bit of a strange question, but for someone that has never really experienced it, can you describe what it is like to stand on top of the mountain? I just want to, like, for those listening, to understand how incredible <laughs> of a feeling it is. Yeah, that's such a hard thing to explain because, like, you know, I always tell people like there's no other feeling. And, and then that's the thing, like you have to kind of bring somebody to be there. But if I could do my best to, to try to explain, it's like, you know, you're looking <clears throat> not, not only are you, are you completely bagged and exhausted by the time you're out there, especially if it's a big mountain, but the, the reward, the fulfillment when you're up there and then you're looking down and it's just like the, the air is a little bit different, but, and it just, it tastes better because you know, you worked your butt off to get there. And then I think there's a serene experience when you're up there because you're like, you can actually see what nature and the surrounding is all about. And it gives you a sense that you want to protect it, at least for me. And I think a lot of the peers of mine that go out there and do that too. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm having a loss for words here because I, did, I didn't expect this question actually. <laughs> but, but yeah, there's I no can't other... prepare you for everything. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, and, no, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like yeah. you described that really well. And I think, I think for me, even like as humans, we sometimes just feel so separate from nature. And I think yeah. when I'm actually hiking and when I'm like, you're, you're like, you're all you can feel is like your heart pounding and like your breath and like the, the mountains. And it's just, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's like, that's where we're meant to be. And we, people just don't feel that enough. That's kind of my, yeah. my experience anyways. That, that, that's actually a great way of putting it. And, and actually, I'd add, I'd add on to that and say that when you're up there, it makes you feel kind of small, right? And I think it it humbles us a little bit to kind of understand and look at the landscape out there and be like, wow, we're just a small, small part of all of this that's going on around us. You know, and if the struggles or the stress we're having in our daily lives, like, you know, they're important. But sometimes it getting on top of mound makes you realize that there's more out there and that we're not the only ones that we should think about all the time that we should maybe think about the greater good. I know it's getting philosophical here, but it really is that for, for a lot of people that go outdoors and, and spend a lot of time out there. Yeah, no, this is great. And we're going to get a bit later into some of the advocacy and some of the work you're doing, especially with outdoor enthusiasts. Um, sure. But I'll save that for a bit later. I have a few more questions sure. about your outdoor yeah. adventures here. Um, <clears throat> so when you say like you hike mountains, you climb mountains, how do you bring ropes with you? Are you into kind of the mountaineering aspect of it? Or is this more, I guess, scrambling where you're just using your hands and feet? Like where's your, um, I guess, where's your, where do you like being? Limits. Yeah, yeah, limits, yeah, I no, guess that's, that's the word question. I'm looking for. So, uh, I, I guess I shouldn't really say, especially in Alberta here, if I say climb, um, I'm not actually climbing. I'm not using ropes um, where we're doing just mainly scrambling, which sometimes gets a little, uh, spicy and uh, maybe we should have ropes, but that's a different uh, question. Uh, but yeah, ma- mainly the scrambling and the hiking and just, <clears throat> I do a lot of photography as well. So um, being able to kind of access my bag while I'm getting up there and, and having my hands free is kind of important too. Um, but Hey, there, there's no limits for what we'd like to do. Um, maybe 
the the climbing is in the or in our future. But at this point, I just feel like I have too many hobbies. And as as you can see, I have gear right behind me. I have gear here you can't see, but my bikes are here too. It's just it's a little much. <laughs> so, some of your photography is incredible. I just for those that haven't seen it before, like definitely check it out. I'll link below in the show notes for sure. Um, I'm curious, do you have a favorite mountain or a favorite hike? Like for those that are listening, um, Tana is located in the Calgary area, I believe. Yes. Yes, that's correct. Ooh, I I get this question a lot. I mean, and I always, I always base it in a few ways. One is, you know, the hike could be great because of the view. One, it could be your favorite because of the view or two, because of the experience that it took you to get up there or because it made you almost poop your pants and you're like, wow, I survived that race. So, <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about just uh, views, for example, right? Um, we, we we recently did Cascade in Banff area. It's like the biggest one you can see like in the town, right when you walk in through the town, that's the biggest one there. We did that one this past summer and I just thought like the adventure itself to go through that and it took us all day and it was just such a big mountain to do. Uh, we felt really filled. Um, but if there, there's one where I'm like, wow, I'm, I, I'm kind of pooping my pants a bit on this one is it's uh, called the wedge in Kananaskis where you're kind of, um, scrambling a knife edge ridge again, no ropes. Um, I was a little younger then, <laughs> a little, little more conscious of my, uh, safety nowadays. So, um, but yeah, I'd say those two were kind of the big ones there that, and then, uh, one where I felt really accomplished um was in lake louise mount temple that's the biggest mountain in that uh range as well so that was an all-day adventure and yeah highly recommend those uh but maybe after getting a bit of experience in (laughs) yeah for sure i've done cascade a couple years ago it's incredible temples on my to-do list but Mm -hmm. it's a little my understanding goes like there's a very narrow range of time that you can actually summit it is that correct that, that's totally true. Yeah. Um, otherwise, there's, there's too much snow still. There, there's obviously snow there all year round, but uh, just about like a month window you, you can get into depending on the season. And uh, within that month, too, there's a lot of people that, that go in to, to try to to try to summit it. So sorry, I'm noticing this sun here. In my ass. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. I'll cut that part out. Um, yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, definitely want to do it, especially after hearing you talk about it. So yeah, you, you mentioned, yeah, I should. <laughs> you mentioned that you snowboard and your partner skis and you try and get out. I think we even had to schedule this around like your ski trips. <laughs> so thank yeah. you for fitting me in. I know that no, this no is good this time of year. But um, I have a question, uh, I guess, regarding ski resorts and their environmental mm-hmm. impact, because I've, I've thought about that before. It's like they're taking up this giant space on the mountain. How do you feel like as an environmental advocate, do you feel that it's okay to take advantage of ski resorts or what are your thoughts i guess really great question and i'm glad you're asking this one because uh i don't think we actually think about it enough right as uh outdoor enthusiasts or snowboard skiers or just weekenders right like um ski resorts i think are great in the sense that if we didn't have them people are still going to go skiing and snowboarding anyway so if we're talking about the ecological space it's taken up and so i think if we want people to still continue doing these activities. We want them to kind of go in one location that we've already built for them so that they don't braid off and make their own trails and make the land worse. And we also have guidance and rules in place so that we don't trash them, right? And, and I think that's good in that aspect. And I think the amount of ski resorts we have is kind of perfect already. I, I wouldn't go and try to explore more opportunities to develop more. Um, but, you know, in terms of the actual energy that we're using to power these things, it, it's a lot, right? These chairlifts run obviously all day and uh, they run in the cold and they have to 
or carrying significant amounts of weight. So, you know, uh, one thing I haven't really looked at is, is, well, are these resort or resorts actually offsetting any of these, uh, emissions or, uh, energy that they're using? And, uh, if so, where is it coming from? I know obviously with, <laughs> so I'm blabbing on a bit here, but in, in Alberta, most of our, uh, power is coming from coal still, all right, about 50% or so. And we're, we are decreasing every year, which is great, but I'd love to see these resorts, uh, take a, great stand and say, hey, you know, we're going to offset some of the energy and emissions that we're, we're using here. We're going to buy some uh, solar power uh, or wind credits from, from Southern Alberta, for example. Sorry, my cat's in the background. You can see him. <laughs> He's just like I closed my door. zipping back and forth. It's great. <laughs> Doing a rascal today. So yeah, in, ter- in terms of, th- there's a few prongs, right? The ecological space and then the energy for it. So uh, but in short, I think they are great to locate people there because otherwise everyone's going to go in the back country and just, you know, go around, braid their own trail, poop everywhere. Maybe they shouldn't, they don't, wouldn't know some of the education pieces around it. So, um, yeah, at least we can funnel all people to one location. Right. So, yeah, that's a good way to think about it. And I guess just coming back to, I guess the feeling connected with nature, it's, it's important for people to get out and enjoy the outdoors and be connected with the outdoors. So I think it's, as you say, it's good for us to have a space to go. Um, so it's good to hear you say that (laughs) because I'm (laughs) looking forward to snowboarding more this year. Um, Yes, please do. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, uh, sorry, we're jumping around a little bit, but just getting back to um, the summer sports a little bit. um, What are some ways that I guess people can be mindful about their environmental impact when they're enjoying the mountains in the summertime? Yeah. So there's so many things you could do. Um, I I, I would follow, for example, CPAWS in Alberta here see some of the recommendations that they have for out, uh, enjoying outdoors responsibly. I would even see what piles up to protect our winters. Cause yes, we, we focus on, or in our name, there's winter. However, we do talk a lot about all year round stuff and how we can protect uh, the, the planet year round. Right. But I know the, the government also has some resources about responsible adventuring, responsible camping, responsible hiking and whatnot. What I would really love to see is the government spend a little bit more money on education instead of uh, just fees for them to go and do the cleanup themselves. I think if we can educate people properly on how to adventure and you know how to clean up after themselves in in the uh, in the outdoors, then we would actually have people being able to uh, respect the outdoors a little bit more. And so that's where I would start. Is like, hey, you know, you 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 want to start getting outdoors and exploring and doing all this stuff. Take a step back go buy your hiking boots or whatever first, always buy hiking boots first because you don't want to hurt yourself. <laughs> and then talk to the people at Mech. They're, I think at Mech, Mech is great. They have so much resource there. They even have a board about learning different things, whether it be hiking, uh, biking, climbing, and it's free. So chat with people before you go outdoors because it, it, it's so, it's such a big safety thing for yourself. And I think for the outdoors and for wildlife, right? So educate yourself before you go because it's not as simple as just putting on shoes and go out and walk. But I mean, it is, but it also isn't because you want to protect. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I guess just like knowing your limits as well, like your personal, like don't try and jump into something um, too extreme at first because the mountains are unpredictable and just like always respect the nature. And and yeah, just when you, you feel comfortable, like you don't know what's coming, weather, weather changes so quickly. Like you might, 
trails are hard to follow. <laughs> like, yes, I, yeah, there's a lot out there. On, on that point, actually, we we were just just getting back into uh, doing some winter hiking uh, a couple weeks ago because we actually had COVID, so we were indoors and we weren't moving. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, and we went to do Johnson Canyon. It's winter time, obviously, it's icy and whatnot, but a lot of people and. Uh, we saw, you know, a group of people, and then there's just one woman in the group who had heels on going up Johnson Canyon. It's ice, you know. Like I get it; it's, it's this easy hike or whatever, but you still got heels on, right? It's not safe for you or anyone around you. <laughs> so, That's so bad. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of education on that front would help. <laughs> okay, okay. Don't wear yeah. don't wear high heels hiking. Yeah. <laughs> in, so winter, since, in winter, especially in winter. So since you mentioned it, uh, we might as well talk about it now. You mentioned uh, Protect Our Winters Canada, or POW. Ah, And yeah, I understand that you're the Calgary lead coordinator, if I have that correctly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There are 12 chapters or so across Canada. Um, I'm the lead uh, organizer for for Calgary. It's a volunteer position. Um, Very, very, very fond of this organization for a while. I've been uh, volunteering with them. And my friend Shirley was the lead before. Now she's up in Whistler. But uh, you know, just just a quick Coles note on what what POW is here. Um, we're, we're, we're a nonprofit organization that's really trying to uh, make outdoor lovers and people that are passionate about the outdoors to also be be effective uh, policy advocates for protecting the outdoors. Right? It's a whole notion of like protecting where you play, um, and I think it just makes sense. And I think the more and more people we see outdoors now, especially during COVID time, the people are trying to get outdoors, which is amazing, by the way. I love seeing people do that. But I think we have to really help make people kind of realize a connection between the outdoors and also the fact that, hey, you can't just throw your garbage anywhere because like there's no one that's going to come clean it, right? Uh, I mean, it's, it's not your own house. I don't know. Like, I don't know what you do at your own house, but um, yeah, and, and how it affects uh, wildlife. And hey, you know, we talked a little bit about emissions already, but yeah, every time we drive out to the mountains, we, we are emitting from our fossil fuels. Um, so, you know, the, people might call that a bit hypocritical, but we, we can still make that connection and see what else we can do in order to try to advocate for our policymakers to, to, to help us do the right thing to, to protect our planet and our yeah. winters. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you bring up some really good points here. And it's like so many people engage in these outdoor activities and just are like, they live for like ski season yeah. and like just making that connection between like, Hey, if you love these areas so much, like, you need to act and we need to like make some changes now or these areas aren't going to be there in 10, 20 years or, or if they are, they're going to be significantly different. So I think the work you're doing is incredibly important. Um, I'm curious on like, what are some of the campaigns that POW has been involved in or like, what are they working on currently if there's anything? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, one of our biggest campaigns that we had in 2021 uh, was for the protecting of the old growth forest. So the big, big trees in BC, especially. And, uh, yeah, there are a lot of companies in BC that wanted to, you know, just take down those trees, build new infrastructure, or just use it for their own uh, business uh, profiting purposes, right? And uh, of course, as we know, like trees have a huge, huge benefits in in, in on Earth. Uh, even uh, the current government has uh, proposed a bill where they would plant, you know, uh, millions of trees. I mean that. Nature-based solutions are, are a big part of a lot of policymakers nowadays for environmental issues. 
Um, so there, therefore, we, we, we really wanted to show support and uh, momentum around that. And so we sent a lot of our uh, volunteers to BC to, to help make a documentary, to help uh, do letter writing, to help make uh, policy suggestions to protect the old growth. Um, there's, there's other things, of course, as well that we've been doing. One is uh, sustainable financing. Uh, so big banks, obviously, they invest in, in various different sectors and whatnot, right? Um, we're trying to get banks to, to, to invest in the future, actually. So um, pulling out the money where it may be a little bit more harmful to the emissions in our world and greenhouse gas emission, climate change and whatnot, and to invest really in, for example, renewable energy, um, right? And because we know that that's the future, we know that we need to emit less, but we know that there's a lot of also um, profit and jobs that can be made for a lot of people, right? So that it's that we think it's a, it's a double whammy, but uh, we really need to get policymakers on board as well to push banks. Um, so those are kind of the, the two big ones right now that we're, we're working on. Yeah, no, they sound super important and well, they obviously are important. And there's a few um, aspects of that. I want to talk a little bit about more about renewable energy and emissions specifically, but um, I guess how can people be involved? Is there a way people can sign up to get information? Like what exactly can people do here? Yeah, that's an awesome question too. So obviously there's 12 local chapters, like I said, um, if you want to get involved with Pound and you live in, in, in one of these cities that have a chapter, please like link them up. Uh, message them, see if you can volunteer, see if you can go to a local event. Um, I'd say the the one thing, first thing you can do, though, is become a free member. All you do is you go to the PAL website, you enter your email, and you're a member. <laughs> um, it's awesome. And and, and, and people are like, oh, well, what, what do I have to do as a member? Technically nothing. And, and I'll tell you the whole strategy around getting uh, people to sign up to be members is that we're trying to show uh, numbers in the momentum that we're we're, we're doing here, right? And if policymakers can see, hey, there's like, you know, 30,000, 50,000 people that sign up to be members of POW, that means that they obviously align themselves with the values and that the POW wants to advocate for. And that means that they should probably write policies that align with that too, right? So uh, become a member one, try to get involved locally in your chapters. And even if you don't have a chapter uh, in those areas, you can do things like uh, donate, of course. <laughs> but there's also awesome documentaries that POW has released uh, in Canada and in U.S. And actually, I should mention that POW is in several countries around the world, not just Canada. It started in the U.S. with snowboarder Jeremy Jones, uh, who's a huge climate advocate and a backcountry snowboarder there. Um, but yeah, we've got lots of awesome documentaries that I would say educate yourself with and and. They're fun too. They're fun to watch. Obviously, you guys, you know, and and women doing snowboarding, skiing, whatever else, and trekking through the mountains. It's, it's amazing. Um, but I say reach out to me. Otherwise, if if you didn't haven't get, had a good answer, you can email me at Calgary at ProjectorWinters.ca. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I'll link to all those, everything you mentioned below in the show notes. So just like easy link for everyone, uh, go click, sign up, become a member. There's strength in numbers. So I think that's, that's huge. I signed up. <laughs> so I'm excited, Thank you. That's excited awesome. to start that's doing awesome. things here. Um, yeah. okay. So jump back a little bit. Uh, we're kind of, uh, <laughs> jumping all around my outline here. Lord, Lord. Yeah. So, okay. Um, back to your background here. So I don't, we kind of glazed over like the work you're doing in your, um, environmental engineering background a little bit, I think. So I'd love for, before we dive into some of the, um, details about climate change and emissions and all that, um, can you describe like what your background, what your education is, and then what the work you're doing currently is? 
like your actual yeah. work, not volunteer work. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so my university background, I went to University of Guelph, took uh, environmental engineering. And uh, since I moved out here, I knew that I wanted to specialize in emissions. So greenhouse gas emissions and air pollution in general. So uh, for the past eight years or so, I've been, I've been doing a lot of air quality work. And uh, nowadays I'm working for a company called Blue Source that they, and they focus on emissions and actually helping companies reduce their emissions while also helping them gain carbon credits so that they can sell it on the market. Um, and this actually, this strategy really helps incentivize companies to, to reduce because they get, they get a profit out of it as well, but maybe to even use some of that money towards going to even lower emissions somewhere else. Right. So it's a strategy that's, uh, really being used, um, around, around the world. And uh, a lot of people are pushing it as kind of one of the biggest, uh, ways to reduce emissions because, okay. you know, we do live in a capitalistic society. <laughs> so yeah. Unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know. Money has to be part of the game, right? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to think about that. And it's almost just like delusional to think that these giant companies are going to change just out of the good of their heart when there has to be like the bottom line does matter to them. And I think that's super important, like to be able to make a profit while doing good in the world. So. Hmm. Super interesting. Um, so maybe we can dive into uh, greenhouse gas emissions a little bit more now. Um, yeah. As you mentioned it a few times, um, for those that are listening that don't know, um, can you just describe what these are in the first place and maybe why they're so bad for the environment? Yeah, sure. Greenhouse gas emissions, you'll hear like the, the biggest culprits, CO2 uh, and methane is, is a huge talk around nowadays. And that's actually my specialization at this company I'm working at. Um, so what, what these do, um, these compounds, you know, they get released, especially from uh, fossil fuels, uh, when you're burning fossil fuels in, uh, in return for energy, right out of your cars or the big factories that, that produce electricity, for example, uh, back in the, you know, a lot of coal was used nowadays, a lot of, uh, natural gas, for example. Right. Um, and what this does, these emissions, um, kind of kind of makes like a metaphorical blanket uh, around the atmosphere and the earth here. And and anytime like um, heat is coming down from the sun, for example, reflects off the earth, normally some of it would escape and it still does. But now with this coating, this blanket of CO2 and greenhouse gas emissions in general, it's keeping more of that in. And in turn, it's warming up the planet slowly. Um, but it's also causing climate change and climate change can be uh, tons of different things, right? And anything from flooding due to melting to uh, more tornadoes because of turbulent um, temperature differentials, it, it huge, huge amounts of different things. Regardless, climate change is not good. <laughs> so it is something that I think we should be really concerned about as our planet changes. Uh, it's always going to change regardless and, and naturally. However, we are... Uh, as science is proving, um, drastically, uh, what do you call, making it much quicker uh, with these changes due to fossil fuel burning. Yeah, it's alarming, actually, when you really start to read about it and learn about it and how fast the world is changing. And I think a lot of us hear about these like the climate change agreement and the target to keep emit- or global warming below like 1.5 degrees Celsius, I believe. Mm-hmm. And is my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not looking good that we're going to make that target. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. 1.5 to stay alive is kind of <laughs> the grim statement that a lot of uh, science, climate scientists will use. And yeah, you know, 
<laughs> I mean, not to get too dark here, but you're right. And I think, I think we do need to talk about this and I'm glad that you're bringing these questions up on your podcast. Um, but yes, it is alarming. Scientists are saying we're, we're not going to hit these things unless we make drastic changes. And a lot of times these drastic changes, you know, we can talk on the individual basis if you'd like, but um, these changes have to come from policymakers, right? The politicians. And that's why I'm always urging people um, that are level-headed and open-minded and smart to, to run in politics. Um, but you're right. It's not looking, it's not looking great at the moment, but I, I'm hopeful in the sense that in, in the course of human history, we, we've seemed to, whenever we're down, find a way to band together, to, to come together, to, to make changes. I mean, I, I, it's, it's also great because I, well, when I first moved here, there was the Calgary floods. Um, it was a terrible time, but people did come together to make things better. But do we really need a disaster first in order for us to come together to, to make positive change? And that's what I'd love for us to avoid. I mean, we're seeing COVID happen stuff right now, and there's a lot of uh, deniers, right? Maybe maybe social media, maybe the internet in general is is causing people to not believe in science as much. I don't know why, but so that is also a little pessimistic on my side, but I just don't know where the world's headed. I, I really hope that we can at least see that we should protect the only planet that we have. <laughs> Yeah, very, very well said. And I feel the same way. Some days it's like, it's very depressing and it's hard to be optimistic when these extremes of weather and everything, and you just, the, the path we're on is not looking good to say the least, but that's why we're having these conversations. And yeah, Yeah. again, thank you for being here to talk about this because that's the first um, step is like at least knowing what's going on and raising awareness and increasing knowledge and all these things. But um, I agree with you and it's the policymakers that have to like step up here, but um, there are things we can do on an individual basis. And um, at the end of the conversation, I think we'll round out with a few like actionable takeaway steps that people's people can do. But um, coming back to, I guess, greenhouse gas emissions, um, looking at Canada specifically. So you kind of mentioned like what the big things that Canada needs to do. Um, it like just to summarize here, it's to make some policy changes and to transition to renewable energy. Is that kind of the yeah, I mean, I, I think those have to be part of the big place here. If, if we're getting down to more specifics, for example, like, um, you know, we could talk about uh, electric vehicles, right? I mean, if, if you're looking at the greenhouse gas uh, emissions by sectors right now, uh, more than 50% is coming from transportation and oil and gas production, right? So um, that, that those are huge. So Transportation, unfortunately, EV, not unfortunately, but we have to have more electric vehicle capacity, but also in terms of, you know, heating our homes, uh, electricity that's running in our homes and whatnot too. I'd love to see an electrical grid go from across Canada. Right now, we don't have a main system that's that, that we're able to, for example, hey, have tons of solar power in, in Alberta, but then transfer some of that energy all the way through to Quebec. It's just not possible right now. And that's what I'm really pushing for too is a national electrical grid strategy. Um, that'd be really amazing. Um, I'll take it a step further and from you know my personal biases, and I think some of the biases within your pages as well, is I, I think we need to start looking at more plant-based options across Canada, especially uh, knowing what we know now about the sciences of, of emissions. Um, not even talking yet about the ethical parts and the health benefits, but it's a huge emission as, as well. And I think we're really downplaying what we're seeing uh, in the statistics. Um, right now, I think we're only seeing about, they're saying 15% of emissions from agriculture. Um, I think we're under-reporting. 
<laughs> I really do. Yeah, I think I think so too. And that was going to be one of my other questions: was the role of uh, diet and animal agriculture and climate change. Um, one of the numbers or one of the stats that gets thrown around in the plant-based and vegan community is that animal agriculture contributes more greenhouse gas emissions than the entire transportation segment. Do you um, believe this? Like, is this true or is that statement kind of based on, because based on the numbers you said, like transportation is still a greater contributor. Yeah. Well, you know, we, I think we also got to kind of trace back a little bit, right? So right now we're only looking at the agriculture emission part, but you know, if we didn't need to transport, for example, all these livestock to from one place to another and then process them all the time mm-hmm. too, then those would be less emissions in those other areas. But if you if you include the indirect emissions coming because of agriculture and animal agriculture, then that number would go up significantly. Right. So it really just depends where you're you're kind of cherry picking these numbers from. But I would agree. Like I think I think the indirect emissions from animal agriculture is significant. And it, it does come from a bit of transportation, processing, whatever else. So that would elevate that 50% to a bit higher. And maybe that's where some of these um, like vegan communities and whatnot are seeing their numbers. But they're not uh, numbers that we should turn our heads away from because I think we really need to dissect it a little bit more. Yeah, so a little more complex. And some people make it out to be, but still very mm. significant. Yes. Um I guess, can we take a step back and talk about um, the benefits just of a plant-based diet, how that exactly benefits the environment? Like where are the, where, why is a plant-based diet better than an animal-based diet for the environment? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's a great question, right? I mean, we're, we're seeing right now, especially in the concentrated uh, livestock ag- agriculture, there's a lot of uh, leach leaching that comes just from uh, animal waste, right? Like, everyone's got to poop and pee. So, <laughs> you know, and that is, is causing significant damages to the uh, the groundwater in those areas. But also there's a lot of emissions coming out just from, uh, you know, uh, bodily waste, right? And and then, uh, you know, you'll hear, hey, cow farts. Yeah, when you're concentrating all that in the building too and releasing it, we're seeing a lot of emissions come out. Actually, our company does, uh, it helps a lot of farmers um, find ways to reduce some of those emissions and then uh, make it more sustainable for those emissions, whether or not I agree, like that's the pass forward. I think we should just kind of, you know, go to more of a plant-based side so we don't have to even have some of those emissions in the first place, but they are significant. Um, I, I don't have those numbers offhand, but also the, I'd say we we're talking about ski resorts earlier and the um, area impact that it has, right? When we're looking at livestock, the area impact on them is massive, right? Because first, you're going to have to grow the crops to feed the animals. Then the animals have to live somewhere and they're continuously eating, obviously, for years. And then, you know, you're, you're getting these uh, vegetation from them from all around these places, continuously growing. Whereas it, it's my, at least my philosophy is that we should just cut the middle person or, or the middle animal in this case and just go straight to eating what they're eating. Well, not, you know, I, no, I, I think it up mean. a little bit better, add some seasoning maybe, right? But <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think the footprint of it is just astronomical. Um, and I think that's why a lot of environmentalists are finally seeing that connection and are also starting to go plant-based and, uh, or if not plant-based, flexitarian. I, I think that's a good start to at least seeing what was happening, but a lot of people are finally making that connection. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I might be wrong, but I think the number one contributor to like, 
deforestation is actually animal agriculture and clearing out these forests for so that we can grow crops to feed to the animals that we can then eat later. Like it's an entirely, it's at its at its core, it's a very inefficient system. And if you yeah. actually look at the amount of calories you have to feed to a cow to get out like uh, a calorie for a human, it's, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> I, so, I totally yeah. agree. You know, and, and I kind of love the comparison sometimes. Well, you know, what are some of the strongest animals on the planet eating, right? Like it's, it's mainly plants. Like, you know, you're talking about uh, the rhinos, uh, gorillas and whatnot. And it's, it's awesome, right? It, it, they're kind of living proof that you can still be strong, like whatever society means is strong and be thriving. Right. Mm-hmm. And Hey, you're an example of that. You do Muay Thai. That's awesome. You're plant-based, you know, I'm still alive. I'm still talking, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, how long have you been plant-based yourself? Like what is your origin story here? Yeah. So, um, here, when did it start? Definitely after I moved to Calgary, but I think it's been about eight years now where I decided, uh, one new year's Eve, but there's a lot of planning coming involved here, but that new year's Eve, I'm like, Hey, this new year is now I'm going to start this. I'm going to try it out for two weeks. You know, <laughs> just cut that meat for two weeks. All right. Yeah. Oh, that was easy. I'm like, I blinked and it was gone. Like, let's try a month. And then it just went on. I'm like, okay, this is silly. I can do this. And then, um, I'd say two and a half or three, yeah, two and a half years later, my partner and I, um, you know, it always starts out with a documentary, but we, we do the fact checking afterwards anyways. Mm -hmm. Right. But for us, the defining moment was, uh, what the hell to go fully vegan at least. And because uh, we just decided, you know, like, wow, like we can have that triple factor benefit, right? One, the environment, one, the ethical issues with the animals, and then one for our health too. I mean, like it, it kind of be silly not to even consider it. And so we decided to do it. But if I'm really looking back to where it all started, um, I was doing a lot of street photography before and I, I linked up with uh, Claire Buchanan, uh, Cruelty Free With Me. And so we did a photo shoot, we talked, and then uh, she's like, hey, come to um, the Alice Sanctuary. And I went to the Alice Sanctuary, met uh, Janine there, the, the person who runs the, the place, met all the animals, heard her story. And that kind of solidified that I should at least be vegetarian at that time, a long, long time ago. And that's kind of how I started making more connections with the plant-based community. And they're just so supportive and like, you know, very entrepreneurial in, in, in Calgary, especially and in Alberta. And I just love being part of that community that's growing, that's caring about the planet, caring about the animals and their health. Like, it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, long the after there. <laughs> no, that was great. And you, you touched on all three major reasons for going plant-based is animals, yeah. environment, and the health aspects as well. And mm-hmm. I know on this podcast before, I've talked a lot about the health and performance aspects of a plant-based diet, but Mm -hmm. I want to start having more conversations around the environmental impact and, and the ethical reasons as well, because I think like as many vegans can attest, like we might go vegan for one reason, but a couple Mm -hmm. years later, it's like, we're vegan for all the reasons. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. No, totally. I think everyone kind of goes in it with one first and that's great. If you can go in it with one, that means you you can drive that passion eventually somewhere else. Right. Mm -hmm. I think one last thing I will touch on the environment piece of of plant-based diet is the the water consumption like it's just it's so significant right um you've seen those charts you know how many liters it takes for to for a pound of beef or whatever versus a pound of chickpeas or whatever else with vegans right the same amount of protein i mean it's so so significant you can't you can't just turn a blind eye to that like so yeah Yeah. just want to make that point (laughs) no thank you very important um you mentioned if someone isn't ready to go 
completely plant-based right now, even something like flexitarian. So they're reducing their meat and um, meat consumption or even meatless Mondays or something like that. I'm just curious, what are your thoughts from an environmental aspect of these plant-based meats and these like the beyond burgers and impossible burger and all these different fake plant meats that are coming out now? Is this still a step in the better direction in terms of the environment? That's a, I love that question um, because you'll get a lot of meat eaters that, that turn to you. It's like, oh, why do you want to eat these meat things? Hey, like I, I went, I went vegan, not because I hate the way my food tastes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's not yeah, the reason. That's a good way to say it. <laughs> right. Uh, so like, you know, I actually, I, I had a good conversation with Camille Lapchuk, uh, the managing director at Animal Justice about this. Uh, a few months ago, and sh- she also consumes Beyond Meat and all those fake meats, and, and so do I. Um, and I'm okay with this because at the end of the day, I know that I'm not hurting an animal because of this. I'm still getting my protein from this. Sure, it's the same amount of calories and whatever else. And you know, you could you could argue that the health benefits may be the exact same for those. I disagree, but let's just say they were. <laughs> um, then haven't we done our part then still, like by not harming another being? Um, and on top of that, like I think if we can use some of these meats to at least incentivize people to show them that you you can still be vegan, vegetarian, flexitarian, whatever it is, um, with with these alternatives, then aren't we still making strides to where we ultimately want to be? And I think that's 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 great. Right. Um, and I think that's what we should strive for is finding more things that uh, that can bring us together instead of keeping dividing us all the time. Right. Yeah. So, no, yeah. that's very well said. And I think like just bringing it back to the mountains and the nature and that whole aspect of it, it's like when you're in the mountains and you're breathing um, this fresh air and you're in the nature, I like just knowing like this is just me personally, that nothing died for me to live, like nothing died mm-hmm. to fuel my body as I'm um, engaging in these sports and part of nature. And I don't know, I just feel like I'm closer with the world when I'm eating yeah. in this way, I'm eating, um, whole food plant-based I'm eating close to the earth. And that's just how I've come to think of it over the years, but just worth mentioning, I guess. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Um, I mean, we, we do, when we can try to eat more cleaner, go to maybe the, the raw, uh, restaurant down the road. You've probably seen them before the raw yeah, they're great. Uh, women. Yeah. They're amazing. They're called Mondays now. Shout out to them because we love them and they help us out a lot too. So yeah. <laughs> no, that's so good. Okay. Um, transition again. I want to talk a little bit more about renewable energy. So you mentioned how, I think you had mentioned that 50% of Canada is still coal. Is that right? Yeah, I think. Or, uh, making sound clear. <laughs> I really okay. love it. Um, yeah, I th- we're, we're, we're declining. We, we used okay. to be about 60% of coal, which is massive mm-hmm. for our, our it's more uh, than i thought actually yeah so we're declining i think we might be close to like the 40 percent mark now and uh our governments luckily in alberta have have listened to the people um and and have made strong policies with deadlines which is very important to targeted policies with deadlines is what's really going to make effective changes and they did so the i think it was actually the ndp government initially who who put that into place and then the current government here uh, just decided to leave it on, which is which is good. This this is a win. Um, yeah, yeah. But we we are striving for zero because we really need to be at zero coal and more renewable. And I think Alberta is so well positioned to be um, even a like a renewable energy powerhouse. We can still be the energy powerhouse of Canada. We have the most sun. Uh, we're huge in wind right now as well. 
we we can get there. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask specifically about like solar and wind and what are the best sources of renewable energy or is there one best source? Is it best to diversify or is one of them better than the other? That's awesome. You really got to diversify. It's like everything, right? When you're, when you're eating, for example, can't just eat apples, right? Um, you got to eat a bunch of different things. I think it's the same thing with energy. We got to have energy sources coming from various different places and it's got to be catered to your geolocation as well, because obviously in some locations, not as much sun, not as much wind. So you got to cater to where it benefits the most for that region and that community as well. So uh, right now, like I said, solar is a huge opportunity in Alberta because we are the sunniest uh, place, right? Like it's just, it's a no brainer. And there's also a large wind corridor too, that we're taking advantage of kind of near that Fernie uh, region down there. I know that's more BC, but you know, just west of there, Pinter Creek, right. Or east of there, sorry. Uh, we're seeing wind farms grow like so fast now and by grow being built and lots of solar panels. And I think that's something that the media doesn't talk enough about is how much of a renewable energy powerhouse we kind of already are in, but we just need to keep moving that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like we, we, I think we're greener than we think. And I love using that expression. Albertans are all greener than they think, but you know, there's something about this pride that that's always holding hold, hold them. I mean, I'm Albertan too. Uh, that's holding us all back. I don't know why, um, but we, we got to see kind of beyond what used to be and kind of look to where the puck is going to be, like Rescue says, right? So Yeah, I like that. Um, I think that brings up like a good, because people are concerned, I think. Like, I love hearing that we're greener than we think, but there's also a lot of uh, room for improvement here. But I know a lot of people in Alberta, especially, are a little concerned about, I guess, the economical impact of like switching to some of these renewable energy sources, like, mm-hmm. and if it'll put people out of work or if it'll be bad for the economy. And how do you, I guess, uh, talk to these fears? Yeah, that's very, very good question. Um, you know, I think there's so much transferable skill sets, especially from oil and gas industry into renewables. And the, the renewable energy source specifically, that's the most transferable that I've been trying to advocate for for years now in Alberta is geothermal. Um, you know, we're the only kind of de- developed big country that actually is not tapping into the geo- geothermal power energy sources yet. In the United States, they're one of the biggest producers in the world. And we are, are actually kind of along the same uh, uh, kind of energy source line for geothermal, but yet we haven't tapped into it only because there aren't any policies uh, written that will actually really help uh, make that uh, sector thrive. Now, um, I'm talking a lot about this geothermal specifically because um, it's a lot of transferable skill sets, like I said, in the drilling, in the piping, all those same things, we really can just transfer to geothermal effectively and fast. Um, you know, with with the other renewable energy sources, I can see why there's a bit of hesitance and fear, especially in solar and wind, um, because it's it's a lot different than 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 what we're doing in oil and gas. But you know, um, I think the handy people can can retrain themselves quickly and go into those sectors as well. But I would really really push for and um, tell other Albertans that hey, you should also push for geothermal because we have a decent amount of um, potential for it. The Canadian Geothermal Energy Association is is strongly advocating for geothermal in Alberta, and they're just struggling because policymakers are pushing back because they're not wanting to change that energy source yet, unfortunately, and take that risk. I actually had no idea. So thank you for mentioning all that. So, um, yeah, how can so how can individuals support, I guess, this movement, like just 
bringing it up when they are asked or on surveys. Like I'm, I'm grasping here, but are there any actionable yeah. steps people can take? There, there are lots. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm just laughing because I'm like, yeah, I, you know what? Back in the day when I used to do campaigning, I'd get asked these questions too, and I'm like, there, there was never really one good answer for these, right? It, it just uh, depends where you live and depends who mm-hmm. you are, depends on what stage of advocacy you're at and activism or whatever else. But I would say the first thing to start with is, hey, you know, um, talk to your local politicians, for example, right? Of all levels, there's municipal, provincial, federal. See what they're up to. See what how they're voting on certain issues. Like, um, are, do they care about protecting the planet? Do they care about the energy transition? Um, and then if you see some of how they're voting, you're not sure what it's about. Uh, you, you could easily just look it up online, see, see what those where we're at with things, where, where other countries are with renewable energy, for example. And you'll quickly see that Canada is actually really behind in, in comparison to Europe, for example. They're miles ahead of us. And, um, you know, the job opportunity, if we're talking back again at finances, it's just such massive opportunities. And I feel like I, I don't want Canada to be left behind in the dust and, and always trying to play the catch-up game, which I think we're kind of doing. I'd love to see us being leaders in these sections. And I, I would I would tell uh, voters or people that are listening to, hey, ask your politicians that and tell them that you want these things because at the end of the day, you have to vote for them and they know that, like we're their bosses and they want to cater to you. So if more people advocate for these things, they have to make the changes. Yeah, I think this might be, I'd like to bring it up here because I, I find it very cool that you were a member of the Green Party of Canada. And if yeah. you, because you're very, you obviously know a lot about politics and and how the system works and things like that. And um, I'd love if you just want to share some of your thoughts on what it was like um, working with them. And I believe you even uh, ran in an election for them. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you just, sure. I, I guess, ex- just expand on that a little bit and um, maybe kind of talk, talk to what the heart of the, um, the mission of the Green Party of Canada is? Yeah, sure. Um... Okay. Well, I, I've run I've run for them four times, <laughs> so twice federally and twice uh, provincially. Um, so I started in 2015, my first election there in the federal election. Uh, the Green Party, I think, ever since I was young, was a was a party that really resonated with me. They're the parties that were for me, and from from what I understand through their policies and whatnot, are really science based all the time. They were they were. There were, they were willing to take the risk to be upfront about the data that's actually in front of us and to say, hey, this is actually what we need to do in this amount of time while respecting people uh, and diversity and the e- ecosystem and just science in general. I th- I th- I, for me, that's really important is, is believing in the science and advocating for what's actually in front of us. And so I, you know, it was a no-brainer for me. But at the same time, you know, when you're when you're running for a party that, you know, has no chance, it's a bit demoralizing. Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, especially in Alberta is, is kind of what I want to say here. It's tough. Right. I only gained about two to four percent anytime I ran. Um, but we ran really good campaigns, like big campaigns with a lot of volunteers, decent amount of money. And the whole reason behind me wanting to do this is to kind of walk the talk. Um, I think ever since I was young, I said, hey, like science is, is important. But if we don't have effective communicators out there advocating for these changes and advocating for the people in the future and the planet, then we're not going to get anywhere. So I decided to, to get out there, pound the pavement, knock on doors, did a lot of debates in my days. Um, you know, I'm sure it didn't, didn't come close to winning any time, but 
it was so fulfilling for me because I think I was able to at least uh, chat with a lot of Albertans who may not have understood what the Green Party about, was about and the science that was around there and how we can actually have civil conversations with, with, with Albertans especially and say that we have a lot more commonalities than we, we actually might think. And that was really fun for me. Um, would I run again? Not right away. <laughs> I need a break. And I think uh, doing things non-partisanly, it, it has been great as well. Been able to do more chats and stuff with people and stuff. Um, but the Green Party is always near and dear to my heart. Elizabeth May, when I was in high school, um, she was the reason why I really wanted to do more things in the environmental sector and go and take environmental engineering, for example. Um, yeah, uh, I'll leave it at that. But it's yeah. it's a big reason why I'm in Alberta as well. And I moved from Ontario to Alberta is because I wanted to really be at the heart of where I thought we can make the most change. Well, I really admire that more than, you know, actually, um, I just I think that's incredible. And I think so many people, they they want to make a bit of a difference. But to really like go that far to try and like make the world a greener place is commendable. And I'm hoping that people listening to this can be like or understand a little bit. I It just offers a new perspective and maybe just think about some of these things that we've talked about next time you're casting your vote. I yeah. do want to ask one question and I hear here in Alberta, especially is some people are hesitant to vote for the green party because like you say, they don't really have a chance to win and they almost feel like they're just throwing their vote away is how do you respond to these people? Yeah, that's, I, I love that question too. Cause obviously I get it all the time or I used to get it all the time. And I think, Unfortunately, in Canada, the reason why people feel like they can't uh, vote with their hearts and they have to keep voting strategically, and I hate that term so much, right, is because of the voting system that we have, right? The first past the post, you know, we have our riding, for example, uh, and then within that riding, only one candidate really gets to, to win, right? Basically, if there are 10 candidates, for example, and one candidate gets 30%, but more vote than anybody else, that person wins. So all those 70 other percent of the vote gets wasted. And I think that's really the, the issue here that we're having in, in Canada and why I think we can't actually evolve as a society and make better policies and care more for the planet is because we're always trying to navigate this moderate middle ground, which is not great. Um, so if we change our voting system, for example, and make it more of a proportional representation where every vote feels like it's counted, and let's say we get 20% of people voting for the Green Party, which would be huge. <laughs> yeah, it would be more realistic. 5%, 5%, right? And then it's still, let's say, 30 liberal, 30 conservative. At least 5% of the seats still goes to the Green Party. And then everything else is also still proportionate. Um, that is what I think we should strive for. I think in, in a few countries in Europe, they have that. And we're seeing more different parties get elected now. And more voices are now at the table. And more voices mean better conversations and better policy discussions. So hopefully better policies. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I just, that was kind of a curiosity question on my own part. So thank you. Yeah, um, okay. So I want to kind of, as we wrap up a little bit here, bring it back to, we've talked uh, about a lot of things, but I want to make it actionable for people. And I know a lot of this change has to come on a policy level and some of the things people can do is actually supporting these policies and writing to, um, 
some of their political leaders. So that's one thing people can do and actually be involved in. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any other things that come to mind? Um, obviously, one would be making a switch to a more plant-predominant diet, um, switching out some of your meat. That's better on the environment as well. You mm-hmm. mentioned um, being mindful of transportation, I guess maybe carpooling if you're going to the mountains, things like that. Um, are there any things that come to mind that people can do, like start small changes that people can start making today? Yeah, yeah. Well, the first one again, like you said, plant-based diets. And I also mm-hmm. want to emphasize to the seasonal uh, foods that you can oh, get yes. that, are, uh, that are much better, obviously, for the environment. And you know, you're not transporting them all from Mexico all the time or other places. I got to be better at that as well. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, but on a personal level, yeah, I mean, like, let, let's really find a way to connect with Earth again, right? Instead of, for example, hey, if you know you're going to meet somebody only four blocks down, you you don't have to drive there, right? You can you can walk there, you can bike. Um, I mean, even in the wintertime, negative 30, I, we walk most places. If it's under, our, at least my personal rule, is if it's under about 45 minute walk, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I know that's big, but hey, no, let, I like that. Yeah, if it's under 30 minutes, maybe challenge yourself for this year. If it's under 30 minute walk, just do it because it's good for you. It's good for your health. It's good for the planet as well. Um, and I would really urge people to see what type of organizations, uh, nonprofits are in your area already. For example, in Calgary, if you're here, there's the Calgary Climate Hub. Um, they're always looking for volunteers. They're doing awesome work there. They, they had a chat with the mayor about her uh, climate plans for the future as well. Um, Edmonton, there's lots of groups there too, right? There, there, I think there's a VegFest group up there too. And yeah. there's just so many different people doing stuff. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. I know it's overwhelming with how much stuff you can do, but I say start locally, see what who you can actually participate with and go from there. That's that's how I grew my network. It's just by showing up. And I think that's the most impactful thing you can do is just show up um, for the people that you align with. Yeah, That's very powerful. Thank you. Um, I have... I guess kind of a personal question as well. Um, it's on mountain, like related to mountains, mountain gear and purchasing mountain clothing and mm. different things like that. And um, no worries if you don't know the answer, but so often like uh, like hiking socks and all these different things, they're made up out of merino wool. And I know this is always very, um, it's a bit of an ethical dilemma for me because like, I don't want sweaty feet for seven days yeah. while I'm backpacking, yeah. but I also don't want to support inhumane industries. So yeah. do you happen to know if there's any such thing as sustainable humane wool, particularly merino <sighs> wool? This is, uh, yeah, this, this one yeah, is short all the time. <laughs> and uh, my partner and I always have this chat, right? We're, lo- we're looking for new socks, outdoor socks whenever we're at Mac. And I'm like, ah, oh, Amanda, like there's no socks that aren't wool. Even like, you know, we'll find the socks that are oh, 10% wool. Oh, so close. It's I know. kind of like the whole modified milk thing in bread and stuff. It's yeah, like so Modified annoying. milk ingredients. It always gets me. <laughs> Why is it in there? Anyways, my, my quick answer is, you know, like I really strive for finding non-wool socks, uh, synthetic if possible. I think the technology will come eventually. We're not quite there. I think there's companies like uh, Smart Wool. I, I read their thing and I'm always kind of seeing what they're up to. But, you know, they, they claim to have these uh, ethical standards and whatever else, uh, ecological standards as well. And uh, they apparently treat their workers better and their farms are better. So, you know, I, I'd i love to see what's actually happening back there. And, and maybe if there's a good documentary somewhere online. But I think that's at least good to see that they're starting to look at that. 
And I, you know, if I had to buy wool, I would go with them first, just because that's the only company that I know of so far that's doing wool, trying to make it sustainably. A long-winded answer is it's not great right now for the sock industry for, for wool. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No worries. I just thought I'd ask you just that that's kind of the stance I have at the moment too. Smart Wool seems like the, I guess, uh, air quote best company so far, but yeah. yeah. Um, if there's any, uh, sustainable, like vegan hiking wool companies out there, like <laughs> definitely yeah. speak up. Yes. Um, please, please, please let Cass know. And then Cass, you let me know. Like, okay. and we'll, we'll shout it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I want to be respectful of your time here. As we're kind of closing out, is there anything that I haven't really asked you about that you're really passionate and you just, you want to get out there? Like I always like to give guests the opportunity at the end. There's lots I'm passionate about all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of sometimes my downfall is I, I like too many things, too many hobbies, and I just want to help everyone all the time. Like, you know, we're talking a lot here about, um, you know, the environment, of course, and the planet and uh, animals. Uh, there's a huge, I think, um, you know, s- section of advocacy that we we haven't really touched on is the human factor too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're all humans at the end of the day. There's a lot of people struggling out there, uh, living still, you know, in the streets when it's cold out and struggling with COVID. Mental health is a big issue. Um, and I think a lot of people would love to go plant-based, for example, or would love to care about the planet, but at their current stage of life, it, it can't be priority because, for example, if you're a single uh, parent or whatever else, or, you know, money is just not there and it's hard to make that transition out. I totally get it. And I understand my privilege is where I want to get at with this and my privilege in being able to explore the outdoors and to be being able to um, purchase gear to do so. My ability to my privilege to be able to, you know, purchase Beyond Meat every now and then, it, you know, it, it's a big privilege for me to be able to buy those things and to be able to think about different things outside of my own family. So just wanted to raise that because I think it's important. Yeah. Thank you. It's very important um, and not talked about enough. So I appreciate that. All right. Um, Beyond that, is there any one thing that you would like people listening to take away from this conversation? Anything that we talked about that you want to like draw emphasis to again, one final Mm -hmm. thought. One final thought I'd say, if you can this year in 2023, get out there, get some fresh air. It'll do you good. I think a lot of us have been cooped up inside for a long time. Um, but while you're out there, I really want people to try to find that connection between, you know, the, the planet that keeps providing for us and also, you know, yourself, your soul and, you know, the future of this planet. And I, I, I read a lot of space books. That's another one of my hobbies. And, uh, you know, every cosmologist out there and physicists will tell you there is only one planet that we know that has life right now. So why are we really risking it all and damaging this one planet that we know? So, yeah. It's a good place to end it. Um, so everyone listening today, get outside, reflect on nature and remember you are a part of nature. So do what you can to protect it. Um, if people are listening, they really like what you're about. They want to connect with you personally or check out some of your photography. Um, where do you want to direct them to? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram really easily, uh, tana.boonlert. So tana, T-H-A-N-A dot B-O-O-N-L-E-R-T. Um, or if you want to chat about PAL, just Calgary at protectorwinters.ca. Great. Thank you so much. Um, this has been really enjoyable conversation for me and I really appreciate your time. Thank you for being here.
Yeah, it's been awesome for me as well. And I really appreciate your spirit and the fact that you're doing this podcast. It's so awesome. I hope it's going to grow for you. And hey, if you ever want to get outside snowboarding or just hiking, let me know. Give me a shout. I might have to do that. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Plant Fueled Podcast. Just a reminder, be sure to check out the show notes for all the resources mentioned and details on how to connect with our guest. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and share the show with friends, family, or anyone else who may benefit. And one small favor, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star rating or review wherever you are listening. It helps other people discover the show and spread this information. If you have any comments or feedback, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. Anyways, be sure to move your body, eat some plants, be grateful for the little things, and until next time.